cryptic message from the past sends James Bond on a rogue mission to Mexico City and eventually Rome, where he meets Lucia Schiara, the beautiful and forbidden widow of an infamous criminal. Bond infiltrates a secret meeting and uncovers the existence of the sinister organization known as Spectre. Making its premiere in London on the 26th of October 2015 and opening on the same day in the UK, and then two weeks later in the USA on the 6th of November, Spectre is the 24th James Bond film, cost an approximate $250 million to make, that's up for debate, and brought in $680.6 million at the worldwide box office. Starring Daniel Craig, directed once again by Sam Mendes, the vital statistics are Conquest 3, Martinis 1, Kills 30, Bond James Bond's 1. Back in 2015, Variety said, After the more personal exertions of Skyfall, this sleek Bond outing gets back to business without breaking a sweat. Sam Mendes' second consecutive Bond outing again passes its physical with flying colors, ricocheting from London to Rome to Morocco across action sequence of deliriously daft extravagance. The picture accumulates a veritable Pompeii of mighty crumbling structures. What's missing is the unexpected emotional urgency of Skyfall as the film sustains its predecessor's nostalgia kick with a less sentimental bent. So I'm your host, James Page, co-founder of MI6HQ and MI6 Confidential Magazine, and I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Edlitz, Sean Longmore, and Bill Koenig to talk about Sky... Uh, Sky... Spectre! <laughs> would, sorry if you're disappointed by that news. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Yes, we would. Uh, my name is Mark Edlitz. I wrote the books, The Many Lives of James Bond and The Lost Adventures of James Bond with cover art by hello um i'm sean longmore i'm a graphic designer artist i sometimes do pretty james bond pictures and occasionally book clubs and hello i'm bill koenig with the spy command blog and the bond 26 timeline right bond 26 that's right <laughs> I, 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 that's right i've got to do a couple uh i gotta do a couple uh, entries uh yeah yeah i think we'll be changing mediums by the time the film comes out yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be all holograms. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we kick off these with the one with uh, for Spectre. What's the motif? You could hang your hat for the film. Uh, if there's one way you would describe it to a casual film viewer, what would it be? How would you describe this to an alien? Spectre, it's the one with Brofeld. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want to expand on that? <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't enough to bring back uh, arguably the biggest Bond villain in the Bond universe. They had to make him his foster brother for emotional oomph, and I personally feel it was a really bad decision. But but some people defend it. So there's a big queue of people waiting to defend it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I know there's there's some people on Twitter who like it when I make Doctor Who references. Yeah. Um, and so I'm gonna it's get me. this one out of the way and say that that in in classic Doctor Who, um, they at one point in the 80s um, in Planet Five, which is quite a good story actually, um, they intended to originally have the Doctor and the Master um, be be revealed to be brothers. Um, but then when they got to the filming stage, they decided it was naff, so didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be like Holmes and Moriarty realizing they have a shared family connection, right? <laughs> yes. It's... Sean, what's, what's your one with? Oh, I don't, I, right. So I'm, I, I've got to admit, when I was trying to do my homework for this, I, I, I really ended up struggling because every time I kind of got into a rabbit warren, 
Um, and so I'm just going to kind of go, it's the one that's a bit weird and it's kind of uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service diet, you know, it's like the Pepsi Max version in a way. Dr. Pip. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just strange. And I, I, I'm i going to say up front that I, I quite like a lot of stuff in this movie. Um, uh, I quite enjoy, I get quite a bit of enjoyment out of it. Um, but also there's some creative choices that absolutely baffle me. And all the people that worked on this movie did, did, did a great job and they've made more movies than I made. And um, a lot of people try very hard and it, a lot of it is very good. But it is just some of it, you, you, my mind just ends up doing weird mental hoops. So it's, it's yeah, it's the weird one that will kind of sit in your brain that you'll think about for a while and you'll think about all the other movies and then it'll just stick with you, but for really strange reasons, I think. Hmm. Mark, what you got for us? Oh, well, my first pick would have been the one with Bond's brother, uh, but I, I think it's the one where it retcons all of his run into one thematic storyline that was presented as if there is a master story plan where right. the, the villains were all leaving him like breadcrumbs along the way to Blofeld. Mm. And that makes this Craig series interesting because obviously all the other ones were, were one-offs. And so it's no longer that Casino Royale and uh, Quantum were two films, one an immediate sequel to the other. They're all sequels and prequels to each other. And you need to really watch all of them, including the next one, to, to get it. Well, and, and we know it was a retcon because in November of 2011, just as Skyfall was to begin filming, Sam Mendes was asked, does this have anything to do with the two previous? And he said emphatically, no. And of course, right. they're counting on the audience to totally forget he ever said that. And uh, Sam was certainly uh, willing to forget he ever said it. So, so mine was on that theme with Mendes, which is, it's the one with the fourth act because I think it's the only yes. four act Bond film and Mendes did come out and say he went into the film without an ending. And I think that shows. And so he went into the film without an ending. So added two, um, cause why not? <laughs> well, well, you know, that can work on occasion. Uh, North by Northwest was two weeks away from filming and yeah. it didn't have an ending. And Ernest Lehman was uh, in full panic because the MGM art department was building sets and Cary Grant was a week away from starting to go on salary <laughs> and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. So it happens, but uh, the difference between North by Northwest and, and Spectre was uh, Lehman came up with a very tight, concise ending, <laughs> about right. a minute and a half. <laughs> Yeah, for Spectre, it's like, well, we've built Westminster Bridge, so you're going to have to get 20 minutes out of it. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you know the Mission Impossible movies do that, too, where they're yeah. mm -hmm. shooting as they're laying down the track right in front of them. But when I was watching it last night, there, there's that line where, you know, they sort of blow up Blofeld, and Bond says, it's not over yet. You know, sorry. Sit back it, down, it folks. Because <laughs> it should be over. I mean, just like you expect in the Bond tradition, blow up the villain's lair. The villain appears to be dead or you know seriously wounded. Movie over. 
But that also reminds me of a smidge like Casino Royale, where yeah. hmm. it's sort of over because he gets away and he's recuperating, and that'd be the end of the movie. But oh, look, there's another little bit yeah. uh, where you know they fall in love. It's also a bit like Skyfall in a way that they capture Silver early on, right? And that would ordinarily be the end of the film. Yeah. But no, it was part of the plot all along. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting that you bring up Mission Impossible there, um, Mark, because it's kind of Spectre's kind of doing that thing, and we talk about it. We've talked about it a few times on the podcast where um, Bond f- Bond films sort of follow what's happening in contemporary cinema at the time. Um, so Live and Let Die, say, was looking at black exploitation movies. Moonraker was looking at sci-fi movies. Um, the Brosnan films were more action orientated, off the back of stuff like True Lies. Um, it's kind of shown as that same pattern because a it's doing the retcon thing and trying to make everything into a universe, which was very popular just as at that time, because Marvel had just got into a big thing and um, it's kind of trying to follow that template. Um, But also um, sort of, I've lost my train of thought a bit. Um, Yeah. It's just kind of, it feels very much a movie of the mid two thousands, and that that sort of sequel itis kind of syndrome that again was very popular, where studios were greenlighting films in sort of the mid twenty tens. Um, you see it in a lot with superhero movies and such, and they're greenlighting films and then not following the project through the whole way. And this kind of feels like it was a project that was greenlit without having a clear direction, and then it just kind of went with it and it all just kind of stuck. And it was, it it feels like all of the sort of weird commercial traits of um, cinema during that time, bigger Mm. and better and more money and more marketing and more everything just so we could get a billion dollars that well, it's kind of desperately trying to emulate that in a way. Well, and to piggyback off what you just said, remember uh, John Logan, the original writer, had pitched them the idea of doing two movies back to back. Yeah, mm. and 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 they proceeded on that course for a while until Daniel Craig vetoed it. So then you had to like, okay, now we have to decouple it, and I suspect that that explains partially why the movie's so long because um, it's probably got like a movie and a half <laughs> half in it. Yeah, yeah. The ending of part one of John Logan's two parter was somewhat underwhelming which was blofeld's identity being revealed on a powerpoint presentation at mi5 wow and the scooby-doo gang were trying to like get a copy of his passport or something it was not not great so if they had filmed that would you then have had a a, not not title card i'm trying to think what the right phrase is but anyway uh previous yeah. <laughs> to be continued. So, yeah, something like James Bond will return, something like that, maybe. <laughs> um, that might work, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, I think. Oh, I don't. Oh, this. I don't. This might not be the one with. But they really were trying to make this ambitious, just on a technical level. Uh, it's one of the the most beautiful of the Bond films. It's it's it, the 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 way the 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 way the camera frames these characters and uses the space. It, it's really on a technical level. 
Yes. Far superior to, to most Bond movies that preceded it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But it does fall into the category of, if money wasn't an issue, what would you want to do? And I think that's where a lot of the decisions stem from, like money wasn't an issue. So why not? Why not spend mm-hmm. more on that car chase than we did on earlier films? And it's not really a car chase. Yeah, well, I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got one for that one. Either the, bon, <laughs> either for the Bond cocktail or underappreciated element. More on that car chase. Okay. All right, let's switch to Bond cocktail then. Okay. Uh, Bond films are often criticized for being formulaic. So why don't we take those ingredients and break them apart and pick one or two of these that are especially important or a twist or somehow unique to this film and why. It can be positive or negative. You can pick from stuff like teaser, titles, plot, women, villains, allies, Bond himself, action locations, dialogue, and style. Who wants to pick an ingredient about Spectre? I, I've got one uh, for plot. Let's. Pre- there was a period of time where we did not know, we the public did not know, if Daniel Craig was going to return and that this That's would true. be his last Bond film. So... If that didn't happen, if he didn't make another film and he just made four, this is the one that gives Bond a happy ending. You know, where it's not just a conclusion to the movie, but it's a happy conclusion to his life. He has an opportunity on the bridge to dispatch the villain and he doesn't answer that call. And instead, right. he's got more important things to do. And in this case, it's to live happily ever after. So, and retire. And I, I took him at his word. And if they did not make another Bond film with Daniel Craig after this one, I would have liked to have thought that this is a happily ever after. He, he's got a, a woman that he likes, and he's got his favorite car. He, he's got everything that he needs riding off into the sunset. Right. I mean... I, I, Right to that, I'd say Roger, you know, having a shower, Tanya Roberts, and calling it a day. (laughs) I I can confirm that some of the audience responded well to that. Um, I remember seeing this first day when it came out um, here in the IMAX here in Manchester in England. Um, And anyone that knows British audiences knows that we all like to sit very quietly and we all sit and watch the movie very quietly (laughs) and politely. Um, And at that very end sequence, as Bond climbs into the car and it it says the shot pulls back and you see Madeline sat in there with him uh, from the back of the IMAX screening, which was completely full. You just heard one guy go, go on, lad. Go on, James. And he was very happy, very loud. (laughs) So there was, there's at least one person out there that really resonated with the end of this movie. <laughs> and that's why I think if you're doing, I don't want to call it a five-act story, but if, you, if you're doing the, if you, if you, traditionally speaking, and this is not always true, but if you want your heroes to have a happy ending in the, in the very end, they have big problems at the end of that last act. If you want them to have a, a downer of an ending before that last act, they should be happy. You know, you, 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 they right. should be in a different state than where they're going to end up. So given that, given that this is the happy ending for Bond, now that they've made a fifth act, a fifth movie, No Time to Die, it's appropriate to leave Bond in a happy space at the end of act four, movie four, and then put him in a terrible space at the end of uh, movie five. 
That makes that sense. makes thematic sense. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd go with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just thinking of the pattern because casino, obviously, bummer ending. Quantum's kind of neutralish. Skyfall is Skyfall's the odd one out, I think, because you could read it both ways, right? Yeah. I mean, he technically failed his mission. Yeah. But I give I give it slightly happy, not to the extent that Spectre ended up happy, because right. yes, he failed he failed his mission with him, but he has been revived, he has been refreshed. He ha- they did that trick uh with the portrait in M's office. You know, you'd seen the you, earlier in the movie you'd seen the museum of the ship being tossed, you know, being towed yeah. to be trashed, and then the last shot in M's office. You have a similar portrait, but the ship is sailing proudly and all that stuff. That was, you know, symbolic of what had happened with Bond. He had gone from the old wreck to the ship sailing proudly. I've got, I've got to say on that though, Daniel Craig's Bond really is a bloody nightmare, isn't he? Because in all of his movies, he either quits or gets fired and then comes back. That's why I had to laugh when I saw the official synopsis for this. It was like, on a rogue mission. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, that's a redundant phrase, isn't it? So we're, at the end of the movies, we're just kind of, especially particularly at the end of Skyfall, I think that's kind of a cheating one because it's kind of like, oh, we're finally giving the audience what they want in the last two minutes of the movie. You know, we, we want to see James Bond do his job. Um, Which is funny because then in No Time Today, they pitch Nomi as like the by the book agent who does what M says, you know, mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> she should have been double eight. Is your point, Sean, that that's kind of what audiences actually want to see for a bit? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We, I just, I, that's what I kind of want. I, I, it, it works once. You can kind of get away with it twice. Three times it's dragging. Four times it's just getting a bit annoying. And then five times when it's done, you're kind of like, well, he had it coming, you know? <laughs> we, we want to see the 008 franchise then, right? Yeah. Just an oh, agent yeah. that gets on with it, takes his mission, kills a villain, has a good time during it. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of what's really interesting about Bond as a character and how Bond's evolved um, cinematically is that the Daniel Craig Bond is very personal and it's very driven by Bond himself. But when you go back kind of really to, to Fleming's original books, Bond's really kind of just a cipher for Fleming to sort of show the world around him and to do this journalistic writing and present yeah. sort of like politics and what, what's happening in the world through his own point of view and even to the point where james bond was the most boring name he could pick bond is supposed to be just a really bland boring character that you actually don't kind of relate to um so it's interesting that it comes to him being everything's a very personal journey Mm. for him when it doesn't feel like it was ever actually really intended to be that and it's fine for a couple of movies but right so what cocktail ingredient you want to go with sean Oh, I don't know. I, I genuinely think I could pick, about, pick any of these because there is there is a lot in this film um, to digest. Um, but I kind of want to cycle back to what Mark briefly mentioned earlier with cinematography. So I'm going to go with style. I'm going to okay. take the cheating answer. Yep. Um, and I'd like to chat about cinematography and costume and just kind of look and feel. Um, because you're right, Mark. It is a very it's a very very pretty film and very technically well done film um there's a great interview 
that I recommend anyone goes out there and finds. I think it's in American Cinematographer magazine that Hoyt Ban yeah. Hotima did at the time. And he breaks down a lot of the movie. And some of the stuff is really surprising. Um, some of the stuff they did is very, very surprising because it kind of doesn't translate on screen. And you're like, well, wow, that was the lighting rig for this shot. Um, for example, the, the clinic scene, there's a there's a great photo somewhere and it was a huge wall of lights outside an office yeah. on a stand. It was a massive set and ma- really, yeah. really well with, lit. With that big, um, what do they call it? The big tricyc, the big, the big printed backdrop, right? Yeah. Which they, uh, yeah. It, it was it was such a huge thing, and then it's it's just it's a really strangely underwhelming scene, <laughs> right? And it's it, it, it that this is what I mean about Spectre being weird is there's a lot of people trying really hard, but also it it's just a bit off and a bit odd, and I I can't put my finger on it. Like everything about that, every it should look beautiful and should look brilliant, but it is just kind of very flat and very officey. Well, it's a different color palette than than the last one, than Skyfall, which you think about the reds. It was all stylized. Mm-hmm. That one was more more glowy, and this one, <laughs> I mean, would you say it's like it's brown? Like what, what was the phrase you used on Twitter the other day? I, it's browner than tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lift. Which is a lift. I think of when the movie came out. I think somebody said to me, or I said to them, I can't remember the the, the history of it. Which was like, there's more layers of brown than in a tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to get it down to three words for Tom's podcast. I was just going to to, to add on to your point. I was just going to say the cinematographer here had a tough act to follow because uh, Roger Deakins had done the previous one. Mm. Deakins had been nominated for an Oscar. Didn't didn't win again. He, he would eventually win, but but you uh, know what? Two hundred IQ to Roger Deakins for saying, "I'm not going to come back and do it a second time." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was just going to say, you know, this cinematographer ended ends up hooking up with uh, Christopher Nolan on a, at least a couple films. So, I mean, I think I think the guy is talented, but you know, the, the color palette is a weird is a weird thing, and that brown. <laughs> color palette is especially prevalent in the pre-titles you know it's brown they, they talk that this i've seen read something about this somewhere the pre-titles didn't feature any natural direct sunlight mm. if i'm right so it's kind of deliberately lit very flat so it had i think they said it so it has like a dreamlike quality there's a lot of i remember reading it at the time they were there was a lot of talk about how they were trying to make it look like a classic film and how it was going to have that classical vibe would be like an old sort of 1950s kind of look and feel. Um, then I, yeah, but they could have just shot a film with regular cameras and yeah. that would have looked like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's massively, again, it's what you say about b- budget being no problem is it was, it was all very expensive. It's all, it was all shot with very complicated lenses. The digital intermediate was exported out at 4k rather than 2k yeah, just, right. just, just because they didn't like how the grain looked. Right. And it, and it was all shot on 35 millimeter, which is great. Um, but yeah, just weird. I, I, you know what I, you know, I think that if people, if they didn't do the brother thing, I think people would have a generally different feeling about this movie than, than they do. Uh, 
I, you know, I've got it on here with the mute, the sound off, and you know, I watched it last night, and it just, just, it's, it's on a technical level, and the acting, it's just all so damn well done. That I think that one little story element, which I guess not so little, I think that just left a, a, a bad taste in too many people's mouth, and it, 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 it colors people's view of it. Well, to to counter that in a little way, yeah. I think it is it is very well done for the most part. But something that I think doesn't help it at all is that the blocking between the actors. The acting yeah. is great, but it's all very flat. It's a, there's so many cut scenes in this movie where it's just two characters talking to each other, and they'll yeah. be okay, opposite so- each other, and it, it's very it's it's kind of it kind of feels like it's directed like a play rather than a movie. Okay, well, be, that would be Sam then, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you- that's theater, darling. Okay, so two things. <laughs> um, one, uh, I disagree. Not that there's <laughs> not two people talking, but I think they did a, a really good job of that. And this comes to, I don't know, one, maybe it's an underappreciated element, but that car chase exposition. So here you've got, how do you get, it's, movies are two people, are people talking when they're not shooting each other. That's what people, you know, you, you're going to have scenes of just people talking. So what do you do to make a scene of two people talking more interesting? I know. We'll put it within a car chase. It's like they did all that, like in the original Terminator, that, that, that exposition that occurred in the middle of these exciting, frightening speed chases. And I think they were trying to do the same thing there. Let's right. break it up. Let's put this, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get some, we'll cover some plot. While doing this beautiful, while doing this car chase, yes. Except you, I never got the feeling that Bond was in trouble at all during no. that car chase. Yes, it's delivering exposition, trying to break it up, but you should get some sense that you know Bond. You know, I mean, he he's acting like he's out of you know out for a Sunday drive, and you know, there's this guy's tailgating him a little bit, but like you, know, I. Just, don't really get the feeling he's in any real danger maybe at the end when he parachutes out but that's almost like a that's almost like a bond trope bond oh bond junks a, a gadget car from q well, how how much of the jeopardy was m finding out he was there versus hinks killing him because yeah. to me it's more about m finding out that he's there than it is any actual like mortal threat from hinks right which you know i'm just Unfortunately for Bond, there was a BBC photographer standing on the side of the Tiber to take the picture of the car as it hit the water. <laughs> right. And put it on the BBC News within five minutes. Yeah. Um, so that was a little unfortunate. Otherwise, he got away with it. And also, I'm trying to remember how much that sequence cost. It cost Shit, more than... Yeah. Is it, yeah. At the time, of like $50 million more? Something like that. 40 yeah. to 50. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a friend, uh, a friend who I, I went to school with designed the gearbox for that Jaguar car, and he um, said money was not an issue. Yeah. Like, whatever you need, guys. But, but then they, why didn't they splash to put some CGI people on the streets or something, or some extras, just so it doesn't feel as deserted? Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's, it, and, it feels sleepy. And, and not only did they spend a lot of money, they let you know they spent a lot of money. They let the Daily Mail in while it was filming, and they they were bragging about the amount of money they were spending. I'd have to go back again, 
dig up that article. But I mean, they were, you know, this yeah, two, was, two things you always learn about James Bond car chases in the Daniel Craig area. One, how much they cost. Two, how much Coca-Cola they spilled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so sticky. But you know, Sean, it, did, it didn't occur to me until you just said this. The reason, one reason you could argue that there's no people is because the pre-title sequence with the helicopter is nothing but people. You mm-hmm. see that helicopter. It almost took me out. It, it, it did take me out. There, there were so many people uh, um, who were there to watch the the festival or whatever. And when the helicopter's moving around, they're, they're in so much danger. That was actually worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the opposite. That, that was slammed with people at the pre-title. And this is empty streets. So oh, there's, my, there's my argument. No, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and that is, it, the outer sequence is really interesting because this, this came out in 2015, which is not long after Man of Steel had come under a lot of criticism yeah. for how it showed civilians yeah. in danger. Um, and so that was the kind of the reason in my head that I'd always thought there was no people in the Rome sequence because they didn't want to show that on screen, but then they do earlier in the film. There's also no people in the whole plane chase either. Mm. Plane Land Rover chase. Well, that, that, that I kind of get because it's, it's sort of secluded. I think the issue with the Rome car chase is A, you've got two cars that look like toy cars because they're so, they're so like sort of hyper real. Um, they kind of look fake. And because you've got no real sort of presence on the ground or on the streets or anything, it kind of just makes it feel like a racetrack. It just, it feels like a toy sequence. You, you encounter way. one person, the guy in the Fiat. Yes. And then <laughs> just, and the, that's, that's the one person other than Bond and Hinks that you see during that sequence in Rome. Um, but but it, it is interesting, and 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 because they spent so much money on it as well. The, again, this is at that same point. Um, Batman v Superman came out well, either just before this or not long after it, and that was the most expensive movie ever made. It was it was kind of that period where spending a lot of movie on money on movies got you a lot of kudos and publicity, and that was the done right. thing. Well, you've um, got to go and see it because oh, yeah. you spent so much money on spent it. Spent so right? much money on it, yeah. Um, but but one thing I will say about the car sequences in this film that I do really really like um, is that the the back windows and all the cars um, is rear projection. We're back to rear projection. It's not green screen. Mm. Really? Yeah. In no time today, they used LED walls. Mm. Wow. For, for the times the cars were real. <laughs> so what's your ingredient, Bill? Well, I'm going with music and. I have very mixed feelings about this. Uh, this was the second movie in a row scored by Thomas Newman, uh, who's part of a Hollywood film music dynasty. Um, I think Newman is very talented, but I don't think a Bond movie is quite in his wheelhouse. I mean, it's not a bad score, but uh, and he got not a nomination for Skyfall, but in mm-hmm. this case, he he re- rehashes a lot of his. Uh, Skyfall score, definitely a, a fair number of cues, and um, I don't know. It's it's it was oh. just kind of disappointing. I mean, any composer coming into the Bond series, you know that a chunk of your score is going to be the Bond theme, right? Which right. is not going to be awesome. so. If you layer on top of that, bringing back the stuff that you did in the last movie, there's not a lot of room left for new music, right? In this one, for example, of of 
him reusing Skyfall stuff. There was in the pre-titles that helicopter fight. Mm. A lot of that music was yeah. reused. Well, and then mm. and then when uh, uh, they're watching the recording of uh, Judy Dencham, there was this little somber doo yeah. doo in the background, which was used in Skyfall when you saw uh, Judy Dench with all the caskets with the right. Union Jack flag on them. Yeah, it's. I mean, often in the Bond movies, when they're doing the edit, they'll use the music from the previous film as the temp track. And it just feels like that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, well, I, it works. Do we need anything else? Ah, we're good. Let's move on. Well, I, I said this before. Uh, it reminded me of a TV series where, you know, they don't have an original score for every episode. So, like, the music supervisor goes through tracks for previous episodes right. and cobbles together something. And, uh, you know, that's what this reminds me of. It's, you know, Newman's more like a music supervisor than a full-fledged composer. You could also argue that's the motif, that that's M's motif. And they're playing with it and bringing it back. Like you do Vader's theme. Or Leia's theme. as well. Because didn't Arnold get a tiny little credit because they used a bit of his music in this too. But isn't the Bond theme in this his orchestration of it? Yeah, but again, oh, right. it's, not, it, it, it's not really original score at that point, is it? Um, no, no, no. But it, it wasn't like when um, for No Time to Die, where Zimmer came in with Johnny Marr and sort of rewrote it. They were using the exact same sheet music that right, Arnold wrote. Right, right, yes, right. yeah. And and you can use a, a composition, reuse a composition, but do it new and fresh. Um, so you, so at least it sounds like they actually had to re- <laughs> do a new recording, as opposed to this. It looks like they, you know. Just switch. switch I've, I've, yeah, I've often knocked Spectre score as being lazy, um, but I do want to. I listened to the Skyfall score in isolation the other day, and I hadn't listened to it like that for a long time. I forgot just how good it is with Skyfall score. So, do I fault Newman for recycling some good stuff? Wait, well, you know, at least he didn't recycle the bad stuff, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Bill, I, I don't know the answer to this. You, you know the music at the end that that's uh, ex, uh, up tempo, not up tempo, but it stops, stops. Is that new or is that recycled? Because I really like that bit. <laughs> I'd have to go back and re-listen. Do, do, you, do you mean the sort of little like um, piano tune, the doom 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 kind of no, thing? No, it's like that... really fast. It's really fast paced. Like well, you, during the action sequence uh, towards the end. Where, but you know, Bond's running and goes, da, 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 da. you know what? Yes, I, I, I know the one you mean. It's the same, it is reused. It's the same that plays over the Moors when um, Silver sees the light yeah. in the chapel at the end of Skyfall. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very sort of bassy sort of feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, right. but yeah, a lot of the score. Is reused, but there, there's some beautiful stuff as well. I really, I really like the sort of theme uh, Newman does for Madeline. That's a really nice listen. Um, mm. And th- th- there is some really nice sort of whimsical stuff in. But you're right, James. When you listen to the scores in isolation, you could mistake tracks as being on other films. Yeah, and, mm. and- I, mean, I like to Shazam the Spectre score and see if it guesses yeah. it correctly or if it comes up as Skyfall. <laughs> well, well it's, it's also interesting that the Spectre, the stuff reused in Spectre from Skyfall is only the stuff that was on the album release for Skyfall. 
Um, so anything reused, sorry, I'll explain that really about it. Anything reused was on the CD vinyl album release of Skyfall. It's all the music that was unreleased. None of that appears twice, which does kind of support the theory that they were using it as a temp track and just decided to keep it. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's my, that's my theory. Um, <coughs> you mentioned style, um, Sean is your ingredient. Mm-hmm. The thing that struck me, uh, looking back at quantum just two weeks ago was, um, quantum gets a lot of, a lot of negativity for the, the pace and the speed and the choppiness. And there's not a lot of room to breathe in that movie, but that was by design. I feel like Spectre's like, it's a way too much room to breathe. And I'm all about like, give me a Bond film that's two and a half hours long. Great. Cause it's an extra half an hour and I'm all about it. But there's just shots in here, which are like completely superfluous and hang around way too long. Mm-hmm. And I think you could cut 20 minutes out and not lose anything. It's, it's a weird creative decision because you'd think producers, for the producer's eye, would say, we're spending so much money on this film, so we want as many screenings as possible in cinema. So chop 20 minutes out, so then you right. can fit an extra screening every day. It, it seems odd that that wasn't sort of... Well, the converse is that we've spent so much money on this, we better bloody see it all. Yeah. Well, you know, what... Sean, what you described—that's how what—that's how things used to be. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we got to have more showings now. Of course, with theaters, you have these massive multiplexes, and particularly in the first week or two of release, you know, so, sometimes a movie will take over half or more of the screens of the theater, so they get the showings anyway. Despite yeah, I the, think that, I think the length it makes it more of an event. Makes it more something you have to contend with. Hmm. Yeah, plan your trip. (laughs) Plan your trip. This one's (laughs) three hours, folks. Right. Well, and 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 also in the old days when you had re-releases, sometimes they took out uh, additional time with the re-releases. I mean, the classic case being Lawrence of Arabia, where uh, you know I don't know how many times it was re-released, and every time they cut out another few minutes. I do wonder, Bill, if that logic about the screenings is also down to the fact that they used to use prints. Yes. Right. So it's how many terms could you turn the print in a day? Whereas mm. with digital releases, it's just a file on the projector. It doesn't matter. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it could very well be. You know, the rentals math is different now. So I just closed the loop on the Lawrence of Arabia thing. Mm. So then in the late eighties there was this big restoration and David Lean was consulted about it. And first he was skeptical and but and Coates, the film editor, said, no, no, we, we can find it. And the one thing, if you could only get the shot of the goggles, you know, the accident at the beginning of the film that, where Lawrence is killed, and you know, if you could just find that shot, I'd be happy. And they did. So, How long was it in the end? Oh, close to four hours. Yeah. Uh, so, so what you're saying wow. is we really need an extended cut of Spectre. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I took away too. Um, I'm not sure that I don't think that's what I intended. But uh, I was also going to say that you know sometimes people learn the long the wrong lesson. So that you know you have quantum that's criticized. Oh, we made it too short. Let's lengthen it out. So they did that with Skyfall. So Skyfall becomes the longest. And then when it's in the final edit, Mendes yeah. says, oh, no, it's not going to be longer Skyfall. No, it was longer than Skyfall. By about, it yeah. was only like th- two or three minutes, but it was still the longest. Yeah. It became the longest. 
I think we were all expecting that pendulum to swing a little bit back into the middle after Skyfall, but it just kept going, didn't it? Yeah. And then kept going again. It kept going again. Yeah. It's it's interesting drawing parallels to Quantum, though, because um, there, there, there does seem to be a lot of this movie that is very similar in a way to Quantum, and I guess maybe it's about the story and about the personal journey. But for me, Quantum does it a bit better. Quantum feels a bit more personal, and maybe you're right, it's because the editing is a lot closer. Um, but I, I, what springs to mind is sort of the backstory and the very sort of human emotional backstory they give Camille, and she gives that wonderful little story of talking about. It's yeah. not, it's not a nice story, but when they're in the sinkhole, um, it's a great little scene yeah. where she's relaying that story. And then there's a very similar scene in this where Madeline is describing what would ultimately be the opening of no time to die and she's yeah. doing the same sort of story journey but for some reason i really connect with camille when she's saying that during quantum of solace but i, I don't connect with madeline when she's telling that story here and i don't think it's because of Leia do because the woman's a fantastic actress there's just a sort of distance and i think it kind of hangs over the whole film and maybe it is a combination of editing the cinematography trying to go for that wider classic feel the music kind of being a bit more um ambient at times i i don't know there's just some these the people inspector and it comes back to what i say about this feeling like a weird film the people inspector don't feel so much like the real people yeah well, I, my, I, well, my thought on Leia Sadu was when she hated Bond, she was absolutely convincing to me. Yeah, she really does hate him. And then, but then suddenly she melts. <laughs> Which makes it harder later, right? Right. So, the, yeah, on the train, oh, and it's like, it just, wait, whoa, time out. Yeah. Um, the other thing that struck me thinking about it, Sean, you mentioned the, the train conversation, is it's like there's, there's two train conversations where they sit opposite each other mm. at a table on the train, right? Well, that's, that's, there we go again. Um, Block, it's blocking. They're both well, just they, sat either they, side of a table. Like, but my ah. point is, like that one serves the same purpose as Camille's conversation, right, in the same mm-hmm. And the other one serves as a, oh, well, it worked with Vesper on the train, so let's do that again. Mm-hmm. And they'll fall in love over a conversation. But neither of them m- matched the thing they were trying to copy. Mm-hmm. And you end up with two of them, which is weird. Yeah, you could you could chop someone. You could take scissors to this. I've, someone out there could make a two-hour edit of this movie easily. Oh, so um, films that aren't generally liked much, this is often the easiest category. So let's do underappreciated element. What thing, big or very small, would you like to bring to people's attention next time they watch Spectre? Maybe add to their enjoyment. Well, I don't know about adding to the enjoyment, but I think we should remember about the whole Sony hack thing. I mean, it's easy to forget now. It's been eight years. But uh, this, I mean, Bond films always have some problems that develop during production. But in this case, just before production, you know, Sony got hacked and it affected lots of Sony projects. But, you know, scripts, script drafts of this got out, studio memos. Um, you know, just all sorts of stuff. You know, th- you know. There, I'm, the one I always go back to is how apparently one of the Logan drafts had a scene where um, um, Tanner was in on it, and right. and Tanner commits suicide while Bond watches. Well, that's straight from the pages of Ian Fleming. Um, 
<laughs> James Bond's only friend in the Secret Service. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it 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 was just it, it's again, it was just such a big headwind to to have to deal with. And, you know, I mean, it couldn't have been much fun because it kept bringing in the stuff. We also found out about, um, oh, some of the circumstances that caused Purvis and Wade to be recalled to, to mm-hmm. duty. Um, and, and apparently there was like a memo from a studio exec to, to Eon saying, what do those agents, do their agents have a hotline to the Daily Mail or something like that? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know. Baz, Baz was getting all the scoops. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's just, it's history that's kind of worth remembering just how kind of weird this whole production was. was yeah, I, don't think, also... I don't think it'll ever be covered in the official history of this film. No. Um, sorry, wasn't wasn't there also a lot of connection to Honor Majesty's Secret Service earlier yes. on? One of the drafts, and it was one of the later drafts. Wasn't um, you know there is an Irma Bunt character, and you know she's Blofeld's hench henchwoman, and yeah. uh, and and she is uh, as uh, she she wants Madeline Swan for herself. Um, was part of it. Uh, and I remember the former uh, Gawker site um, had a huge article where they went, you know, they, they did an altered uh, Craig gun barrel shot with his pants falling to the, to the ground. <laughs> and, you know, they did this huge, huge story about what was in that draft and all this stuff. And it was, you know... Uh, <laughs> just it was just it was just a strange time. So, is your underappreciated element the fact that they managed to get a film out from the dumpster fire that was pre-production? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's a good way of looking at it. And and also look at the other weird stuff that was uh, going on. So, okay, you you have the beginning of uh, they're getting ready to start filming, and the the big publicity event at the start, and Michael G. Wilson's missing in action. Where's he? Uh, well, they never said. Um, at the same event, Barbara Broccoli seemed incredibly nervous, and she let Sam Mendes do the bulk of the talking. Um, Which, in retrospect, yeah, yeah, um, you know, there was I mean, he didn't know, he didn't hide the friction between that and Sony, <laughs> did he? No, yeah. In fact, what did he? Yeah, that's right. That, another thing the hacks was, you know, finally people noticed how much money was being spent. Whoa, slow down. Why guys. does Sam need to film this villa where she gets shot in Italy? Why can't they do it at the back lot? <laughs> I think was right. one of the emails. Yeah. And does the Does the train need six cars? Can we do five? And, yeah, and all this other kind of stuff. And and like God, we've got to maximize those Mexican uh, those Mexican tax credits. You know, like find more ways to so we can use more of them. And then and I, then I remember, of course, this classic Michael G. Wilson. So he returns because they had another press event in Mexico when filming began there, and he's asked about the Mexican tax credit, and he de- he denied it had anything to do. Any choices right. were made because of it. it's like Mike. You know, we're not talking about a report in the Daily Mail. Daily Mail. We're talking about the documents. They're online. Everyone can see them. Which stipulate that the Mexican government forced them to put that beauty shot of the Mexico City skyline at the end. 
Right. Of the pre-titles, yeah. To make the city look modern. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just and, and there there are other things, but yeah, just just the dumpster fire and and getting a. Uh, and a let's not forget that film. also led to the downfall of Amy Pascal. Oh yeah, because there was those like reportedly racist emails. And well, and, well, and and one thing wasn't Bond, but you know apparently Amy Pascal was uh, said nasty things about Angelina Jolie, you know, and then uh, oh, <laughs> Angelina Jolie sees them and. I remember seeing a photo at, taken at the time. It was Amy Pascal trying to patch things over, and you looked at uh, uh, Jolie. You know she was having none of it. You know, um, but yeah, that that cost her 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 studio job. At well, Pascal. it also cost. I think that significantly affected what happened next, right? Because if Sony, if she, if that hadn't come out, she'd have still been there. Craig probably would have been lured back quicker. No Time to Die would have been would have come out quicker. Because Sony would have funded it up front, and things could have been very different. Right, and they could have gotten it out before the pandemic. Yeah. Say la vie. Uh, Sean or Mark, what do you want to do? Underappreciated element. Um, I think, what do I want to go with here? Maybe costuming, actually. Which we've not talked about. I mm. think there's some there's some absolutely gorgeous costume work. Is it is it Lindy Hemming again? I think was it. It, it, it was somebody who did Harry Potter and who uh, there were reports that she may or may not have plagiarized stuff. Ah. Well, it, it's very pretty either way. And credit to whoever was costume designer on this film and came up with it or whoever was costume designer on the other I, film. I'm, I'm going to mispronounce it. It's, it it's, it's something like Janine Tamim. Uh, uh, she's French. Uh, J-A-N-Y. Uh, T-E-M-M-I-M-E, something like that. That's continue, please. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah I, I, I just, I, I, I think um, it's nice here. Craig's wearing different colours. He has that lovely brown suit, and they're all Tom Ford again. Of course, it's brown. Because it's brown because the movie's brown. Um, but very finally, this it's, it's, is camouflage in this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I I like his uh, wardrobe too. The, uh, the 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 two things that I could add about that is is even though I I just butchered her her name, I did speak with her, and she said that the the um, the uh, bathrobe that he wears in his home was mm-hmm. meant to be something that he picked up, in, which looks so comfy. It's something that he picked up and that James Bond picked up in his travels abroad home, uh, and that the the white uh, tuxedo jacket. Is not a Goldfinger reference, but instead it's a Humphrey Bogart Casablanca one. Okay. Ah. I, I like all of the suits he wears except for the one in the Facebook data center, which mm. is things a little bit too short and tight. Is that is that a blue suit? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it looks painted on. But half of that's me being jealous of Donald Craig's physique. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, if you look like that, James, you'd want... Yeah, you'd want yeah, your yeah. clothes to be a little yeah. bit tight, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do. I just and I, I also we should probably also mentioned the um, Day of the Dead costume at the start, and I remember yes. that particularly right. over here in the UK, that started off a trend that lasted for years, where that was the Halloween costume to have. Um, mm-hmm. That was a massive, massive thing over here. That costume, that poster, um, probably that costume probably ended up being more popular than the movie did. <laughs> yes. 
Well, the did, legacy did. is the legacy is that that festival now exists, whereas it didn't before, <laughs> and now it's a massive tourist attraction in Mexico mm-hmm. City. And it's Every also year. a really interesting way to introduce Bond uh, because he looks like the villain. I, I I confess that the first time I saw the film and the camera finds th- this man looking like a skeleton, I didn't immediately know it was Bond. Uh, it's such an interesting way to introduce your hero as as the dead, right? Mm. I, can I can I while we're kind of there? Can I ask you guys because you guys were probably the most likely people to know the dead are alive. What does oh, that yeah. mean? Where did that come from? Sam Mendes. Didn't it? <laughs> Thought that was his idea. I don't know. I, I literally don't know. I don't know anything about it. And I, every time I watch it, and I'm like, "What is that? Why is that there?" So confusing. I think it was Sam Mendes. It wasn't in the script. The script said the uh, the circle after the gun barrel opens up on like the um, right eye socket of a skeleton, giant skeleton at the parade. But instead, you know, we get. You know, the dot turns red and we get the dead are alive thing. So that I think that is a Mendes thing. Yeah, but we, we there's no answer out there on who it's like referring to. Well, it, it means that Bond's past is being dredged up. The, the, the dead are his memories. The dead is, you know, his, his brother. His dead is all of that. Everything that he thought was put to rest uh, ha- has come up. Even M is back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. You may be through the past, but the past isn't through with you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Mark, what would you like for underappreciated? Uh, I, I think I alluded to it with the action exposition. Um, I also like a few character moments in this. I like the, when they Bond discovers a videotape that says Vesper confession or something like that. Uh, tor- you know, Vesper torture mm-hmm. scene or whatever. And he looks at it, he considers it, then he then he tosses it away because I think that indicates that he has – he's still somewhat haunted by her, but it, it, not so much that he would dredge that up. Um, he somehow made peace because if he really wanted to know if he was being played by her, he would he would have watched it and that would have definitively given him the answer. Right, and the other really mm-hmm. cool character moment for Bond um, is when he's got the gun on the rat, and he says, "Who sent you?" Which is funny, but then he says something else after that, like, "Who, who, who are you working for?" Something like that. Yeah, and it's so it's so the first time is just a joke, but the second time they say it is, you know, this man is still a little bit um, frazzled. He's still a little bit on edge. And it's also cool that they are still mining from Fleming's work. You know, obviously with the Ober, you know, it's amazing that that you know with the Oberhauer Oberhauser thing, irrespective if you're happy with how they played that out, it was still such an important part of Bond's character. You know, he, he, he you know he was a father figure to me when I needed one. Um, that was untouched for twenty three mm. or so movies. Yeah. And it was just lying there, waiting to be mined, and they did. Yeah, um, my underappreciated element is Mr. White's home decorating skills, <laughs> because <laughs> the man can drywall and plaster a secret room every year 
with no Home Depot <laughs> and nobody noticing the construction materials going in and out and uh, to the point where you can't see it. I mean, I'd like him, Mr. White to come over to my place and fix some drywall. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention um, the Sheaf's love for the VHS format. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and how in 2006 well, he's still not recording DVD. <laughs> that's right. And he can switch between PAL and NTSC formats depending on where he is in the world and have no problems whatsoever. <laughs> now that's a highly secure medium because where are you going to play it? Mm. Oh, so trivia. We're getting into trivia now. Would you like to share a fact or tidbit about the film that you find interesting? I'll go one. Um, it's one where they finally acknowledge the existence of James Bond Jr. via the photograph of a young James Bond. <laughs> uh-huh. Finally. You know, I got to tell you, I was so, uh, this is another, uh, you know, Mark embarrassing thing. I was like, oh, do they cast, do they cast a, a James Bond at that age? It, it took me a few viewings to realize that just a photo, old photo of Daniel Craig. Yeah. But I was like, oh, they, they cast another Bond actor. I got to find out who that actor is. I kept yeah. looking for who plays James Bond, you know, age whatever. Well, you're the person to ask this, Mark, because it's bothered me for years. Um, but I finally got a confirmation from somebody from Eon last year, I think, that they did cast a young James Bond for the intro title sequence of Skyfall. This James, and this, was, is- this was me. I found this out for you. <laughs> okay, it was, it was me because I interviewed Clyman. There oh, you yeah, go. Let's talk I about that. Yes, <laughs> we got it. Uh, we're allowed to talk about it now, aren't we? But the identity of said boy is top secret. Yes, um, but yeah, yes. You specifically asked me um, to ask Dan Clyman, and I did. That's and right. um, yes, the the kid in the crack the first time in the Skyfall title sequence was a different actor that was cast. So wow. technically, there have been seven official James Bonds. Wow. Okay. Ask me this in three years. I will spend the next three years trying to find this <laughs> silly piece of information. Well, you know the casting agency they use, Mark, oh, right? Man. So yeah, probably That's... narrow it down. Probably oh. narrow it down. Yeah. There's another trivia thing. Uh, is the first time they formally acknowledged, although you had to hunt for it, uh, using a a continuation novel, which is of course, uh, yeah. which is Colonel Sun. Uh, they don't mention Colonel Sun by name, but there's this long list of special thanks to, and it was the estate of Kingsley Amos. It's part of the end title crawl. And it's, you know, it takes, you gotta be, have an eagle eye for it. Um, but it's there. And, and then it's for the torture sequence. Yeah. Something in the back of my head, Bill tells me it cost him a hundred grand. But I don't know where I got that number from, but it's just popped into my head that I think it cost them a hundred grand. Because yeah, because the script originally had something else, um, and then instead you had that that torture sequence, you know, taken from Colonel Sun. So, but they did their best to disguise it. You know, mm. they 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 didn't advertise that fact. No, Ian, the, the the Ian Fleming publications acknowledge that someone was asking them about i want to say a james bond jr question <laughs> oh no, no here no here it is they were, well yes but 003 and a half i i think this is accurate and if it's not it's pretty close uh someone was writing an article about something else about one of the other continuation novels probably 003 
and they said, forget about that. Check out the 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 uh, Colonel Sun reference in in Inspector. Right. Yeah. They they should have hidden his picture in with all the pictures in the basement of MI6 where they've got all those <laughs> lovely production <laughs> Sure, what trivia you got for us? Uh, what trivia have I got? Uh, I had a, I found a, a one that I thought was interesting but was boring, and that was just that they reshot Bond's apartment, and if that was reshot yes. at the end because originally there was a woman in there where Money Penny goes. Um, yeah, Craig was not happy with that scene, so they redid it. Mm. And we've got photos of the lady running down the road with a towel and a bathrobe and wow. bed sheets. Bed, bed sheets, that's right. And, um, <laughs> and they cut that whole thing. Wow. I, I think that was a, just a tonal thing. Yeah, yeah that, that, seemed, that, right. do, that does sound like it doesn't fit. That's very Roger Moore, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah Money yeah. Penny's at the door, so she has to leave through the back window not, down, the, yeah. down the drain pipe. Uh, hide in the closet. <laughs> well, well, yes, because I remember a shot. You know, it was while product, you know, that was an early sequence film. And I remember seeing this still. It was like Bond is looking out the window of his apartment yeah. he's in a bathrobe but yeah. when you see this this the version in the movie he's fully dressed he's i mean he's just wearing, i mean he's not wearing a sport coat but he's wearing shirt and slacks and whatnot well uh, but my more interesting thing i'd i'd like to draw people's attention to what could i guess you could now retcon in the same way that specter retcon the older movies um to the t- other Spectre prequel, which was 007 Bloodstone, um, <laughs> which is an underappreciated game. But at the very end of that, um, mm. spoilers if anyone hasn't played 007 Bloodstone, I highly recommend it. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear it. Um, but at the end of that, Joss Stone's character um, is revealed to be t- treacherous um, and mm. then sacrifices her own life, saying that she's under the watchful eye of someone, some nameless yeah, entity. He's everywhere. You can't to... avoid him. Kind exactly. Of In very, yeah. very similar vein to what Mr. White gives. Um, so yes. you can very easily collect that to being Blofeld. And I, I always, that that is the one thing that I kind of forgave Spectre for retconning for. Because I was like, oh, well, now Bloodstone fits. And I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bloodstone is great. I, it, also written by uh, Bruce Feirstein. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a real soft spot for that game, uh, but I also I, I quite like the Goldeneye remake as well. Um, I like I like that Craig gets other little adventures and yeah, the ones we were missing between mm. where he doesn't where he, where he doesn't quit or get fired. He just does his job. That's what I like. Yeah. Sounds so boring. That's why we never got to see them. <laughs> Okay, let's wrap this up. Final verdict. This is a controversial one. So there are no bad Bond films, but there are some we watch more than others. Do you put Spectre in your top tier, middle tier, or lower tier, and why? Who wants to shoot first? Um, I'll go. I'll go. Um, I'm not. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'll put say it's at the bottom of my middle tier. Um, I think there was an attempt to marry or at least combined classic bond with the daniel craig style bond particularly in like say the first hour there actually is some humor which uh Mm -hmm. first 45 minutes hour maybe um and there's some sequences in there that i like where it kind of fell apart for me was when they got to that well the specter call center as i once dubbed it in the middle of the desert um 
the stakes became confusing because, okay, if this nine eyes thing, well, Spectre will have all this power, but what if they've got this mammoth call center and they seem to be able to intercept any phone call on the face of the earth? They, 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 they uh, tapped uh, Bond talking to Money Penny during the, during the car chase. Um, it, it was just very muddled to me what, what the stakes were really. Like, what, what, if that thing had gone operational, what would Spectre get that it didn't already have? So, anyway. But that's later in the film. I, 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 as, I, right. as I mentioned, it's playing here uh, at Casa de Edlitz right now. And that's like an hour and 50, 55 minutes in. Right. And I feel like more of it than you remember. <laughs> Well, anyway, it's. Well, I, I, I think I think, I'm, I think arguing, I'm, I'm arguing about your own personal. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it, it's like that saying in golf: the most important shot is the last one you play because it's the yes. one you remember. Yes, it's yeah, yeah. like the, the the thing that drags Spectre down is the ending, and it's the thing that everyone remembers yeah. because it's yeah. the ending, right? It's, yeah. But that's the thing is that the the, the first three quarters of the film is 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 is, is witty and and so I. I, I Anything with Daniel Craig is my top tier Bond, but I, I think it's really more. Uh, I agree with Bill that it's more mid, middle tier. Uh, it's one of the ones that I'll go to more because I like you know it's more recent. I haven't seen it nearly as many times as some of the older ones, hmm. and it's got Daniel Craig, so so I will continue to watch it. But like Bill, I think it's middle. All right, two middles. Uh, I hate this question every time. Hey, this might be the last time I answer this question. Actually, um, I mean, it is no die another day. Let's face it; it's not that, that level of uh, excitement and brilliance. Um, <laughs> you know me; I love dying. Um, um, I might have to go with bottom. I'm afraid. I. I, there's a lot to like. There's a lot of people very, very clearly tried very hard and put a lot of effort and a lot of money was spent. It does look great. There's some of the acting's great, but then equally, there's just so many weird decisions that I can't get my head mm. around. Um, like C, why is he called C? That that baffles me. I get that it's a joke. I get the joke, but why? If you know, I said that to someone I work with and just said, well, well, "I'm going to call it, you C." It's because. The, the, the position is officially called C. Is, uh, is, is my it? understanding? Yeah, the like we call yeah, M is, is his official thing. Yeah. So it's his official. It, I didn't immediately understand that either. Just, just to be clear, Sean. Yeah, the head of MI5's title yeah. is C. Really? Yeah. Well, so that's see, why. I've yeah. never knew that, and I wish that was explained. Yeah. You t- movie, yeah. you should have explained that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but to be fair, I mean, anybody outside the UK would have no clue either, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I'm in the UK. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) my point is, it's very obscure. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but also there's stuff like Smart Blood. That bothers me a lot. A A because also there's a very clear through line that they're so desperately trying to make this movie interlink with the previous Daniel Craig movies, in which he has a tracker put in his arm, and also they can trace him throughout the entire of Skyfall anyway. And yet they decide to invent some new MacGuffin to do that purpose. I like your theory. Sean, which is the Smart Blood project evolved <laughs> into into being the um, oh, what was its name? Her- Heracles. Heracles. Yes, in no time's time. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so that one's kind of no time to die has made that one a bit softer. But yeah, j- just weird decisions like that, and also the big missed opportunity, the biggest missed opportunity of the film with Hinks, because he's a man that has metal things on his fingers and pokes them through people's eyes, and that's his gimmick, that's his henchman gimmick, and they called him Hinks and not Claws. Like, come on, <laughs> the joke's right there. <laughs> Claws would have been great. Claws, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's just things like that. I think it puts it in my bottom. I I do. I think it's there's lots of good stuff, and I do even like a lot of the music. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of flat and a bit bloated. It need, does need chopping like the down. The gun barrel, isn't it? Oh, and the gun barrel's awful. And yet, it was it was such a good thing to see at the front. And then when you actually look at it, it's it the the graphic is horrible. Who did that? Yeah. It's it's just yeah it's just really baffling things. A lot of money was spent on this film, but it doesn't have the polish it needed. It's like it just fall, fell at the final hurdle in production, and it's such a shame. And I think that's what uh, uh, not upsets me, but bothers me, and is that the potential is there, absolutely there, and then there's just some really bizarre, questionable decisions. I think it's like a very expensive meal at a restaurant that everything is super rich and decadent mm. and the best of the best, but there is no contrast. So everything just feels sickly at the end of it. And there is no enjoyment. You come out feeling, you come out with, you know, an upset stomach. I like that. They didn't go b- that in the next one, no time to die. They didn't go back on the Blofeld Oberhauser thing. They didn't try to erase mm. that. I thought that right. was, Pretty, I think that was. Uh, it's, they stood behind their decision. They yeah. didn't address it, but they're like, "No, this is our Blofeld." Didn't pull a Dominic Green on him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. This this movie is made better by No Time to Die, um, for sure. Yeah, and especially as you were saying that where they they she explains the backstory in in this one in the train sequence. Well, she explains the pretitles. No. Well, yes, but it was never intended to be. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, th- I think that's why they're they're it e- each echoes. Here she explains it. The next one they show it, and I think even the climax of this one is similar to the climax of No Time to Die. Into you just see Bond, tri- you know, running through a complex trying to stop yeah. something. Uh, they both echo each other. Yeah, it is made better by No Time to Die, and I think. More and more than anything else, Leia Sadu's character, Madeline Swan, is lifted mm-hmm. in this film by No Time to Die because she was actually given something to do in No Time to Die. And I think you feel a bit more for her character rewatching Spectre now than you did previous, in my opinion. Anyway. Um, so Spectre is back in UK cinemas this weekend if you're in the UK and you listen to this contemporously. So go see it. Um watch at the end for the mention of Hildebrand and how they purpose and Wade, I'm sure had five different plans for how that was going to get used um, in the next film. And we never saw that any of them. So I guess <laughs> next time we interview them, we'll ask them <laughs> unless there's something we haven't spotted in no time today yet. So with that, thank you for our penultimate episode in this series, Sean, Bill and Mark, and we'll see you next week for no time to die. Bye for now. Bye. Take care.